welcome to New Teacher Talk. Thanks for joining us. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Saroja Warner from WestEd on culturally responsive teaching. Saroja, I want to push the conversation a little bit more by asking you your thoughts about how new teachers can collaborate with their peers and lead culturally responsive teaching mindset. I think, you know, a lot of school districts try to organize and do, some do very well at organizing professional learning communities called PLCs or communities of practice for teachers. A lot of schools have moved towards even creating affinity groups where teachers of color can come together in safe spaces, where honestly white teachers can come together in spaces to grow and learn, develop their knowledge, skills, and abilities to engage in anti-racist and anti-bias education. In terms of the guidance for new teachers, I'd say like certainly capitalize on the structures and the opportunities that are created by your school and by your district. But I think it's also really important. This is a part of being a culturally responsive teacher too, is like I mentioned earlier, this reflection on what do you do when you see injustice? That is something that is really challenging for people to grow their skills around. I think especially as adults, it's really challenging and it can be really scary. It can in some spaces be dangerous. I also am not encouraging anyone to do anything that would put them in physical harm or danger. How we can continue to grow our skills so that we can defend our kids, so that we can advocate for them. Some of our kids don't have any adult in their life that is fighting for them. And I say that fighting, you know, not literally, more metaphorically, they don't have an adult that is out there really advocating for them. And and that's a critical part of our role as culturally responsive teachers. It starts in the classroom, but it extends beyond that. How do we collaborate with our peers is actually a great question for us to be asking ourselves so that we can not only be strong in our practice in the classroom, but also in, in communities and how we engage with families. I actually don't know that I so much have an answer except to say, I think that's a great question that should be on that list of things that you are grappling with and things that are in your professional learning plan as you continue to make a commitment to grow in this space. You know, the new teachers today are really our leaders of tomorrow in this profession. And they're going to be the voices and setting the pace and the agenda for the futures. This collaboration with like-minded educators in our own building and our district, the notion of not only that synergizing, and we can do that through social media now too, can't we? We can go beyond the boundaries of our buildings. We can connect with others across the country that are so passionate about what we're doing and what should be done with regard to cultural responsive teaching. This notion of leading, I'm a big advocate of teacher leadership. Leadership does not have to always be the building principal or the superintendent. It can be that teacher in the classroom who's surrounding and advocating for students and trying to find new ways, almost poking the bear, if you will, that little bit of risk-taking within reason. I really hope that our new teachers that are listening and as they move into their new profession are embracing the good comments that you're sharing here, Saroja, about what they can do, what's possible, how to put students at the center of our work and to lead and to be the voice of change as we move forward. 
I love it. You're so right. It is so important now more than ever. <laughs> Poking the bear, I'm learning so much. <laughs> I think that, that that is such a great metaphor for the opportunities that are there. Sometimes you can't see them because it can feel very overwhelming and the pressures. But this is why I think to your original question, Beth, about the collaboration with peers. Yes, you are not in this alone. There are others that you can connect with, lean on. There are so many wonderful networks for teachers out here. And yes, to the social media virtual spaces that have grown. I wish we had those coming up in the profession. There's so many great tools, right? You're right. It's, it's a whole new world, isn't it? Sure is. And I would like to do a shout out at this point for one of my favorite networks from some of our National Board Certified Teachers, Brothers and Sisters. It is the NBCT Network of Accomplished Minoritized Teachers. They do so much to help educate teachers about about how to think about culture in the classroom, how to, as affinity members and associates, to put students first. And you can reach them at all capitals, N-B-C-T-N-A-M-E, or national board name at gmail.com. So I just have to give a shout out for them because I've learned so much from my friend, Dr. Latanya Sibley, about culture and about culturally responsive teaching. That's my little advertisement for them. To get back to our conversation, as new teachers often, and this gets back to a, an issue in our country that minoritized teachers are underrepresented. So we have a lot of students of color who never have that opportunity to have a teacher of color. We have white students who are never exposed to a teacher of color. And so when many of these teachers go out into classrooms and they start to think about how do I set up my classroom? How do I make sure that all cultures are welcomed and represented in my classroom? And I think sometimes it's just about that, shall I say, tokenism almost, that I've put up the right kinds of posters. I've represented people in pictures on my walls but that's not enough. So how can a new teacher make sure that everyone that walks through that classroom door feels welcomed and represented? I think, you know, we do have to be really careful. This is why that I emphasize the internal approach to your action plan for being culturally responsive, that we have to be really careful that we are not tokenizing students, a student, uh, a cultural group, seeing them in a monolithic way. At the same time, we want to create those spaces that are inclusive, where students feel welcome and represented. And this is just as much true, again, for the classroom that is diverse and for the classroom that's not diverse, because we have a lot of classrooms in our country where it's much more monolithic, culturally, racially, and both ways. And I say both ways because I'm, I'm really thinking 
in the context of our polarized world, you know, there are places that are very white and there are places that are very black and very black places are not diverse. People think diverse and they're like, oh yeah, we have a lot of black students or black and brown students. And that's what makes it diverse. No, that by definition is not a diverse classroom either. And making sure that students, regardless of their race or their culture, get opportunities to learn about others, to learn about different. There was a teacher in Iowa in the 60s who did that blue eye, brown eye experiment. Does that resonate? You all remember that? I do. I remember that. And they had her on all of the talk shows. She was inspired by the civil rights movement. She's in Iowa. She's a school teacher in an all white community and inspired by what she was seeing and provoked in her elementary school classroom to figure out how do I teach my white students in Iowa about what is happening in our country around race and about injustice and prejudice and discrimination and segregation. And that for me, I remember when I learned about it, I wasn't teaching at that time, but when I did learn about it in my prep program, it was a really powerful example of what one teacher could do and the powerful and exponential impact of that set of lessons for the students years later, because they followed that cohort of students that she worked with into adulthood. And they were, you know, there was a bunch of, I think on PBS shows about it, but it's just such a powerful example and powerful reminder for white students, helping them to understand diversity and to embrace the value of diverse cultures and contributions that diverse groups have made in our world is as important as ensuring that our students of color also learn that. Everyone needs to learn that. So I I can't hit that point home enough for folks that culturally responsive teaching and culturally responsive education is for all students it is so critically important given our current climate in this country that we really help all of our students to embrace the differences and to learn about one another it really means teachers doing like more work i mean let's be honest there's only so much we learn in our prep programs there's only so much content you really learn most of us appreciate that the majority of the content that we bring to our practice we learn on the job and we learn while we're doing it if you want to be the teacher that has an inclusive classroom, you just do it. And you know how you do it? You keep learning and reading and listening to your students and to families and communities. Develop those relationships with the families and the communities where you teach because there's so much to be learned there in those spaces as well. That would be, I think, the most important advice I could give to new teachers is learn with and from others. That's a great segue into a question I want to follow up with. You had mentioned your contribution to the book earlier, and the book, The New Teacher's Guide to Overcoming the Most Common Challenges, is filled with voices of all kinds of teachers, new teachers, veteran teachers, national board certified teachers. It's designed to help our newest educators get a strong start, but fully realizing that they don't have a lot of time. So the articles are not super long. And what's even better about the book, it's got this social media piece. So they can join Twitter chats. They can listen to these podcasts. They can watch the Instagram flow, but the downloadables that are part of the book, 
and you contributed to the book in that regard, Saroja. The piece that you added was fantastic. The downloadable is just worth everything. Might you talk about the article that you wrote? And when I say article, these are shorter articles. So for new teachers, it's not one of these heavy research articles. It's totally practitioner-based. And might you also, Saroja, talk in detail about the resource that you created that they can get, they can download it and use it today? The piece that I wrote in the book was really provoked by, it's funny, I was cleaning out some bottles and I had found this piece that was in one of the high schools I taught in. They had a high school newspaper and a couple of the students on the paper wrote this piece about six teachers in the building that were really influential, right, in their high school career. And they titled the article, It's a Kind of Magic. And then it was the spotlight on the six teachers. And I was one of these six teachers. And so it was funny when I found it and I was reading it again. And I started to think about, is it really magic? And so again, like as I started off our conversation talking about culturally responsive teaching being a deliberate practice, not just, it's not magic as my lovely students characterized it, but it's really deliberate practice. It's an intentional focus on myself as a teacher, my pedagogy, my practices, the impact of my practice. You know, I think of the pedagogy as my intention, but then the practice has an impact. The impact is where there needs to be real reflection around. If you want to be the change agent that you seek to be, if you want to support equity and ensure Again, as we said, that kids want to come back the next day, that they see that place is a place that values them and that is full of love and high expectation. I wrote about that and how I, what it made me do was reach out. Again, we talked about social media. Thank goodness for social media. I've been able to stay connected with a lot of my high school students who are now adults with families of their own, um, some of them in DAP programs. Um, and I asked them, what, you know, these many years later, decades later, what is it you remember, if you remember anything about our time together? Kind of did a, like my own like mini quasi little qualitative study around that. And it was really interesting because the very things the research talks about and the very things we know to be true as expert veteran teachers shone through in what my former students had to say. And that was, again, these pieces, I label them the X factor pedagogically <laughs> in the piece, but it's basically bringing that enthusiasm to the classroom, bringing those high expectations. It's bringing love, like genuine love. I'm so informed and influenced by the work of Bell Hooks and how she talks about love and, and love being, you know, the ability to give and fulfill for someone the things that they need. That's what real love is. I feel as teachers, we are in the best position to show students love. We spend so much time with them they look up to us. There's a positionality there of power that we have that we should leverage to ensure that our students are loved and experience high expectations and learn and are just excited about learning. That's what I wrote about. And the tool that I shared with that piece was actually a tool that we developed through some work that was funded by the U.S. Department of Education. 
And it is a tool that is really designed to be a reflection tool for teachers to use, you know, create that routine. If it's once a week, you know, if it's every other day, whatever your frequency is, but to use that tool as a way to have focused reflection on your practice. The tool is built around eight competencies for being a culturally responsive teacher. And the very first one on the tool, um, and they're numbered like intentionally that way, is that internal part about yourself. I really encourage new teachers to, you know, put that in your calendar and make that a part of your practice. I must tell you that working with a group of new teachers, we recently used your tool with them at a new teacher academy session. The conversations that it brought up among them were so rich and interesting and impactful. We really appreciate that tool. And it can be used with those groups of new teachers to have them start those conversations in their peer groups about the importance of culturally responsive teaching. I couldn't agree more, Anna. Good point. So Sharoja, if you could only give one bit of advice to new teachers about being culturally responsive in their practice, what would you say to them? I think I would say to them to prioritize listening. Check out a book by Katherine Schultz called Listening, a Framework for Teaching. In that work, she really expounds on this notion of listening that has been very informative in my own practice. This idea of listening in layers, you listen for what the classroom is telling you. You listen for what individual students in that classroom are telling you. You listen for the communities, you know, your school context, you're at the community level, what parents, sort of thinking about listening and how you pay attention to what is happening around you and then do that internal work. What does that mean? You know, I'm listening and how am I understanding what I am seeing and hearing? How do I understand that? What are the implications of how I'm making sense of that for then how I'm going to interact with my students? And then how is that going to impact them? And it all starts with you go backwards in time to the listening part, right? In that process, really just engage in listening, be quiet and listen. That's a wonderful thought to leave us with. If our listeners would like to contact you to learn more about anything you've talked about today, how can they do so? You can email me at swarner, number two, don't forget the number two, because there's two swarners in my org. So swarner2 at wested.org. You can catch up with me on Twitter and message me there. I'm at Saroja Warner. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. And again, I don't use any fancy names. It's Saroja Warner. There's only one of me. I think if you Google me, you'll you'll see me. So I'm very easy to find. And I really encourage folks to stay connected. Definitely hit me up. I would love to hear too, like the stories, like tell me about something great that, you know, shoot me an email, tell me about something great that you did or or some struggle you're having, or a time when you did slip and fall, but you picked yourself up, you know, and how you course corrected. Would love to hear the stories from folks. 
Thank you, Saroja. We really appreciate you spending time with us today and sharing such significant ideas with our audience. Really, the information you shared supports not only new teachers, but practicing teachers, veteran teachers, and how they should be thinking about culturally responsive practice. Be sure to use Dr. Warner's self-assessment reflective tool that's in the book that examines eight competencies to consider where you should focus and grow your practice. It's a great piece in the book, and it's a terrific downloadable. You want to get that. We hope that you'll become a regular follower to this podcast channel, and you can do that by subscribing or simply following the channel itself. And you can also email us at thenewteachersguide at gmail.com to comment on this episode and or share ideas for future podcast topics. Follow us on Twitter and DM us at new teacher talk one. The same is true for Instagram. You can find us at new teacher talk and remember as a new teacher, we are here to help you.